Hello, this is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast, and I am super glad that you're here today. Have you ever read a blog post or looked at a caption on Instagram and just immediately felt connected to someone that you had absolutely never met before? Well, that's what happened with our guest today when I read her website, her social media, I just felt like, oh my gosh, we are kindred spirits. Her name is Dara Brunstein, and she's going to talk to us today about a variety of topics. But one of the things I want to really highlight before we jump in today is you likely have seen the graphic with her picture with Deepak Chopra in a masterclass that she's doing, which just is an amazing thing that she's providing for you all, should you choose to jump over to her website and participate. But what she talks about today is the common everyday journey that she's been on that's gotten her to that point. And I just believe that's important for us to continue to share that story that we all have failures and we have challenges and bad stuff that's happened and to get where we ultimately want to be to achieve things that are important to us We have to recognize that every time we look at someone online and we see their great picture and we see their great work, that there is a whole backstory that exists before they got to that point. And there will continue to be a backstory of challenges and frustrations in order to do great work. So I am so glad you're here. I know you're going to get a ton of practical, tactical takeaways from Dara. So let's get started. Hey, Dara, how are you? I am great, Rebecca. How are you doing? Super good. So it's good to have you on the show today. I can't wait to tell people uh, how I introduced myself to you in an email. Should I just start with that? Yeah, let's dive right into that because I think it's perfect. It's (laughs) stalker-like. Pleasant stalking. (laughs) Pleasant stalking. So I found you somehow on social media. I think there was a shout out about podcasters and I jumped in on the conversation. But then I went and looked at some of the things that you have in your profiles and I had this immediate connection to you and reached out with this really stalker-like email where I was like, oh my gosh, we have so much in common. We even use the same words. And I just was so excited about it that as I read the email back after I had sent it, of course, I thought she's going to think I am batshit crazy. (laughs) Well, fortunately I didn't. Otherwise we probably wouldn't be here right now. Exactly. Exactly. But that's a great discussion for us to have today is so often when you see people that are doing things similar to what you're doing, if we're not careful, we can have that comparison perspective and block our connections instead of saying, oh my gosh, I love what you're doing. I'm doing some of that too. Let's collaborate and be even better together. And, you know, I think that spirit that both of us entered into this conversation with, we had to kind of fight for it though, didn't we? We, I I know I didn't always have that. Absolutely. I mean, I love what you're saying. It's this idea of collaboration over competition or comparison over 
collaboration. And it's not natural to look at the world and think, oh, there's abundance, there's enough for me. We are wired to believe in our capitalistic market that everything is scarce, which therefore means that if someone, like you said, is already doing it and it seems like they've gotten a pretty great portion of the market, then it is very natural. And I absolutely struggled with this too and at times still struggle with it to think it's been done. They already have it down. Who am I to do this? Like all the little critics in my head start firing (laughs) very loudly and telling me to stop. And so props to you for reaching out because I said to you offline that it demonstrates a lot about you that you took it upon yourself to reach out and to fight those voices. And I've worked hard at that. And some, you know, I'm not saying that tomorrow I won't be crying in, in my actual podcast closet about some other comparison. <laughs> so so we, we do battle it on a regular basis. And I think that's an important thing for all of us to remind ourselves and each other is that we can overcome that, but we probably have to overcome it a hundred more times. And it's totally worth the battle to, to make sure that happens. Um, And the other thing that I loved about our conversation offline is I believe that we all are wired with really unique and specific gifts and talents. And the kindest thing that we can do in the world is bring those to others. And we, you and I, are wired for connection. We just, it's, it's throughout your entire, I think you were born with that and it shows up and it's, important for people like us who are wired for connection to bring the kinds of things, both content and events and things that you're doing that I want you to talk about, out into the world so others who may not be as wired for that still get the benefit of connection because we need it as human beings. Exactly. I think your point is so valid that We are all, as humans, just as a species, wired to be connected, to be seen, to be known, to be appreciated. Not everyone necessarily is like you and I are, though, on the one end of the spectrum where we can't help but put the puzzle pieces of the world together. Yes. But we all have that foundational sameness, which is exactly to your point why I love that I discovered this in myself and I love that you discovered in yourself because you do need those people who are going to be the conveners and who are going to spark those connections that then have a domino effect positively for everyone involved. But it's interesting because I wonder if you're like me where as I grew up, I didn't understand that at all. I felt like I'm not good at anything to the degree that everyone's championing it. I wasn't the star athlete. I wasn't the star student. You know, I was good at stuff. I got straight A's. I was captain of the cheerleading squad. I was on student government, but I was never incredible at anything. I wasn't going to be the valedictorian or president of the school or the person getting a college scholarship for academics or athletics. It just wasn't me. So I felt like I was always floundering, trying to figure out where I fit in all of it. And it wasn't until I was a young adult that people started reflecting back to me and saying, you are a connector. You don't even notice it because it comes so naturally to you. You take it for granted. And I I really empathize with people like me, and I'm surmising you, Rebecca, who we don't have the skills that are the obvious ones, but they're these quote-unquote soft skills that underpin so much other stuff for people to succeed or to live in their fullest, best ways. But we have to figure that out so we can champion it. And often it means relying on our community and our networks to help reflect it back on us. Oh my gosh. I wish you were my neighbor. 
We would have <laughs> Thank so many for technology. Rich, we would have so many rich wine-filled porch discussions. I think maybe, <laughs> and I'm just in my in my head going crazy because just last week I spoke at my old high school. Cool. How crazy of a connection is this conversation already? And what I said to them was. I didn't know what I was going to do when I was sitting in that seat 35 years ago. And I think we put too much pressure on high school, even younger children, and we put too much emphasis on what are you going to be when you grow up? Yeah. And when we do that, people like you are looking around thinking, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a teacher, and just the the traditional um, professions that we've seen. And then you start to think, what am I going to do? Because it's not so specific. And I prefer to work with my clients and the things that I write and teach about are, your life is really a breadcrumb trail of discovery. And each time you discover a new gift or talent, it's another piece of that overall journey. And it is like putting the pieces of a puzzle together. I just had an experience not so long ago where I was looking at my vision board and I'm, I just turned 53 this week. I mean, I'm still discovering. Can we just stop there? Holy shit. Like you look Thanks girl. Do go on. (laughs) Wow. When you said 35 years, I'm like doing the math in my head. I'm like, no, she, she must've been mistaken. (laughs) Thank you. And I think a part of, I do feel good about how I look at 53. And part of that, I believe, is that I am living in joy and the way that I'm wired intentionally. And when you do that, it just, you have less stress in your life. And when you have less stress, your body doesn't take a hit. I think that's a big part of it. But anyway, I digress Why you tell me how wonderful I look at today. Thank you. But I was standing back looking at my vision board and I was getting frustrated because I had all of these things on it that I love, and I was trying to figure out how they fit together. And I had that business-minded marketing hat on that day, and I thought, okay, if you're going to be good at any of this, sister, you're going to have to take some stuff off. And then I thought, what kind of a person takes stuff off their dream board? That just seemed like a bad idea as a coach and somebody that inspires others. And it was just a divine moment where all of a sudden I saw how it all fit together. And it was like, it was like God handed me the cover of the puzzle box. and was like, hold up, girl, don't, don't give up on any of that stuff. Here's how it fits together. And if you were to stand back and look at it logically, it doesn't make logical sense from the perspective of what we put on people in terms of professions. But now when I see it, I see it through the lens of I have been picking up those clues and breadcrumbs along the way this whole 53 years that now show me how absolutely all of that goes together from, you know, retreat centers that I'm going to be building, which is part of that love of design and refurbishing homes to the connection and the speaking. And I mean, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, it's not separate. It's fabulous. So I, I get love excited. all of that and absolutely relate to it. And I, I never put mine on a vision board of this is what I love, but I would take notes and Evernotes and journals for months at a time when I would find myself in these reiterating moments of how am I going to invent or reinvent myself in my career? And I would say the same thing. I'm like, I started my career in fashion. I'm a black and white photographer. I love to write. I love to teach. I love improvisational conversation you know, I'm deeply curious. I'm a lifelong learner. I love to travel. And I'm thinking, 
what the hell? Like, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But weirdly, it's all, like you said, kind of amalgamated and come together into this thing I've called my career. And when I look back at the steps, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But when I was in them, I didn't understand that they were all going to play out. I didn't know that starting a credit card processing company would open certain doors and teach me certain lessons to then help me start the networking events company, to then have me write a kid's book on financial literacy, to then have me do this type of writing and content creation and teaching that I do now. And, and it's funny what you said too, because it makes me think of Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, and this idea that we are always becoming. And this is how I feel in my life, that as someone who values more than anything, low learning and growing, that if I don't feel that I'm growing and learning and therefore becoming and always in that process, then I feel like I am depleting or even dying, as grotesque as that sounds. And so when people say to me things that seem very simple, like, you know, who do you want to be in 10 years? Or what do you do? Or, you know, anything that feels definitive, I really struggle because I want to always be becoming and because I don't really love being fit into a tiny box of that question. And it's actually a lot of my work around teaching about relationship building to uplift everything that you want to create in your life as the gateway to opening those doors. A lot of what I teach is to not ask people that question because I think it's limiting. I think it makes people feel like you're judging or critiquing them. It makes them often feel like you are wanting to transact with them rather than actually build a relationship and get to know them for who they are, not just their title. And, you know, part of that probably just comes from my own challenge with answering it because I'm like, well, would you like me to speak for several minutes or would you like me to just like give you a soundbite? And so, yeah, it's, I'm with you 100% on the fact that we don't all have linear paths. I'm a big champion for nonlinearity. I'm a big champion for people in any stage of your career really stopping and pausing and thinking, is this fulfilling? Am I putting off and deferring everything I want until later? Am I able to live a life that I actually feel alive in now? Like, am I actually living rather than just making a living? It's, it's so much of that. And that for me caused me to rejigger a lot of my businesses in my life when I realized that they were consuming the life that I actually wanted. Oh, so much. Yes. I'll give you a, what I have always said when people ask me about the 10-year plan. Because I, at the time, I was working for the Franklin Covey organization, which is all about planning and goal setting. So as a top performer there, the expectation is you better have a plan and goals. And when people would ask me that question, I would say, I don't know, I haven't created it yet. Because even in my traditional roles with the company, I still very much would make them work for my gifts and talents. And so it's, I, I totally buy into everything you just said. I'm definitely the person who is wired as a type A, check the boxes, get shit done person. However, coming into 2019, I made this big shift where I said, instead of doing, I have this very detailed process that's actually a guide on my website because I still think there's value in it for people. I would, at the end of every year, close out, my birthday is in November. And so on my birthday every year, I do a deep dive into a written public reflection on here's what happened in the year and here's what I learned. Mm -hmm. So it helps me not just blaze through the years and forget and for me, it's a time capsule. And then about six weeks later, the year is over. And I would always do this 
okay, let me build on the reflection and think forward and create the intentions. And so I would write a detailed list of goals. (laughs) And then I would create a list of mantras that were just adjectives of how do I want the year to feel? And I would pick between one and five. And then I would narrate it all as a writer. I wanted to feel what it felt like for all these things. Exactly. And for it not to live in buckets because our life doesn't live in silos. So I thought, okay, well, if I want to travel at this amount and I want to be at my friend's milestones and I want this business to be like this, how does that play together? And so through the narration, I would do that. And then I would make a vision board. And it was this arduous process, but I always really relished in it. Until the end of 2018, I hit this point where I realized a lot of great stuff in my life has actually happened when it's gone unplanned and things have just clicked. And I've let the current guide me with intention, but I haven't resisted because I held so steadfastly to the thing that I committed to. When there's been many times that I'm like, well, I said I'd do this or I'd build it to this. I'm going to white knuckle it to get there because I said I would, even if no one knew. But I was so beholden to my own commitment. Instead of these moments where I was like, well, actually the the current is taking me left instead of right. Let me just see where that goes. And things have unfolded so much more beautifully and quickly Mm -hmm. that I said in 2019, my only goal is to have less goals this year and see how it happens. And so far, we're off to a great start. (laughs) Just last night, I was on a walk on a trail here in uh, close to my house with a girlfriend, and we were discussing this exact thing. Mm. And the book I'm writing right now is about um, rising and thriving because I spent a large part of my career and I use the term white knuckling through it. Mm. And I would stay up all night. I would do whatever it took. I was always willing to do what it took to succeed. But now I realize that I could have succeeded far more and with less strife. So we, we use the word strive. I'm a word nerd, so here we go. So writers, writer alert, both of us. Okay, so <laughs> when we use the word strive, which we do, and we've used it as a badge of honor as high-achieving women, I'm going to strive for that promotion. I'm going to strive to hit that goal. The actual word means to battle and conflict. And I started thinking about that as I was writing a few days ago. And I thought that describes so much of what I was doing to achieve. And the, when you use the word thrive, it means to grow and prosper and flourish. And it has, has its roots in, in floral, right? And it actually means when the stem of a flower rises up to the sun and its roots spread out through the soil. And you start to see the difference in those two things and you think, I can grow and prosper and not have to white knuckle it because when I let things happen with and for me, it is such a better feeling and a great outcome as well. Totally. And there's so much conditioning that has taught us that unless you're burning out and you're hustling and you're grinding and you're getting three hours of sleep, that this busyness badge of honor is the thing to strive for. Mm -hmm. And it's ironic because it makes people uncomfortable. You know, when I made a commitment that I was going to test, I didn't even say I'm going to totally get off that wagon, but I said, I'm going to test it. (laughs) And the first thing for me was I'm going to stop answering emails at a certain time. Um, you know, there were literally times in the credit card processing company where I'd have clients who were nightclubs and they would email me at 2 a.m. and I would answer. 
I would like be half asleep. I would pick up my phone. I would check it. And like, that's not doing me or them any favors. It's ridiculous. I mean, I had 24 hour customer support for them available so that I didn't have to do that, but I felt like it was my obligation. And so I started testing and saying, okay, what happens if I stop answering emails at given times? What happens if I don't open my computer one day a weekend? What happens if I take a three-day trip and I just check my email in the morning and the evening? And I realized that not only did things not fall apart like I suspected that they would, but that I came back more energized and creatively with better ideas to everything I was doing, that suddenly I felt like a time creator as opposed to this person who was constantly stressing looking for these like nooks and crannies of time to fill in the stuff I wanted to do. And it was completely counterintuitive, but I just kept leaning into it and being like, well, if I can take a weekend trip, then maybe I can take a five-day trip or a 10-day trip. Or now I travel 60% of the time and I just work wherever I am. And these were things that people were like, no, there's no way your stuff's going to fall apart. You're not going to have any money. It's like they were just projecting all of their fears on me and it's the fears that were holding me in it in the first place. Yeah. Once I started doing it, that's actually what catalyzed me doing the work I do now because people kept saying, how do you live this life that you're living? And I was like, well, it's actually not that hard. I just had to be intentional and start to move in that direction and get my mindset fixed and build businesses that elevate it and don't consume and completely squash what I really say I value and then build a community to help me thrive and open the doors and actually have fun together. So it's this like fairly simple formula, but takes a lot of intention to get off the moving train. It is simple and intentional and counterintuitive. But only for a little bit, I found. Because once you enjoy the benefits of it, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, give me more of that. And I love what you said about because you're not white-knuckling it and striving, now your connections, your creativity, and your solutions are all better. And that's 100%. how we get really good results, not just for us, but for our clients. Yeah, totally. I feel like the analogy is so tired, but the whole like put the mask on yourself before other people thing is so true that I was burning myself out to the point where it's like I was doing no good to the people in my life. I was doing no good to my clients because I was just like a bundle of reactivity, whether that was like stress or emotion or just nothing felt proactive. I was playing defense in my own life. Like that's a shitty place to be. Yeah. And you think about how a leader that is doing that shows up for their team and their company. I was teaching a a class yesterday and I had a, a room full of leaders and we were talking about what that does to the team when you are the one that's just constantly burnt out and you're not doing them any favors. No, not at all. I mean, one of the things that is popping in my mind, and it's not completely linear to what we're talking about, but hey, we talked about non-linearity. So, <laughs> but it feels worth sharing is this thing that I came to recognize that really helped me in the moments when I wanted to take some of these new movements in a different direction. I wouldn't even call them leaps because I was never like intentionally jumping off a cliff. Like I got pushed into entrepreneurship because I got laid off three times in three years and I knew I wanted to have a business. And I was like, well, hell, I might as well do it now. (laughs) So it wasn't even a leap. It was like, okay, that seems like a reasonable next step. And there was never a moment where I felt like I took some massive leap. So I want to be careful around that language. But this idea for me that I've come to recognize about what I call borrowed confidence, that there are a ton of moments in my life and career where a next step felt really scary. And for any of us to grow, you've got to step outside of the stuff that you're familiar with. And that often brings up fear. And the way that I've often uh, assessed that or tackled that is by using borrowed confidence. And so I've looked for moments when 
other people have a confidence in me when I didn't have it in myself and I've just leveraged it to get me to the next rung. And so that has looked like most recently, it's in my collaboration with Deepak Chopra, where we had a series of events last year that brought us together and we had some wonderful conversations and interviews. And each time it happened, I felt like, whoa, that was such a gift. And I just gonna, I'm going to savor that because that's a one-time thing. And then as it continued to evolve, it came to a point where I had sent him an email and within 15 minutes, he had written me back and he had, we had basically said, hey, we think we should start this video series together, but that wasn't the intention of the initial email chain. And when he decided to do this with me and he said, okay, I want to release videos together weekly here to forth with you. And we're going to title it both of our names, like this whole thing where it was like this equal parts, he and I. Whereas I looked at him as this guy way on this pedestal and I'm just some like random person who had followed his work and read his books and done his meditations for years. I stopped for a minute and I thought, if you don't take this moment in and recognize that this man could have chosen any person on the planet and he chose you, and even though you don't fully understand why because you doubt yourself, you need to borrow what he sees in you and ride it until you believe it in yourself. And that's exactly what I did. And now I feel like, okay, even though I never had to ask Deepak, why did you choose me and what did you see in me? I was able to understand and embody that we are all mirrors for each other. And that if Deepak was the mirror that I was attracting, then I was needing to understand and really embody that for myself. Oh, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. On the last podcast that I recorded... My guest, Joan Rosenberg, who wrote a book, 90 Seconds to the Life You Love. I might not get that exactly right. I'll go back and fix it in the show notes. But she talks about receiving compliments as a part of the process in therapy even. And I was thinking about that as I was writing this weekend and, and what that does to affirm our gifts and talents because I started to look at the things I was being complimented for and I thought, this is the best way possible for me to help my clients discover their unique gifts and talents when they're not always able to see it in themselves, is now to ask them, what do you get complimented for? And let it be as simple as you're kind or you know, don't overthink it, just receive it for what it is and then just let that be a part of your breadcrumb trail to discover those things that people see in you. And it's exactly what you just said beautifully. Thank you. Well, there's two things that I tactically would like to share to help people yeah, with that. Please. One is I keep an Evernote file on every random nice thing people say to me, email me, text me, because there are absolutely moments where I'm thinking like, uh, like back to the start of our conversation, like I don't have it in me. Who am I? This isn't helping anyone. Why am I even doing this? And I will then go back there and I'll be like, oh, just kidding here's what this person said and this person said, and I never even met that person. And they told me that this helped them in that way. And it's really life-giving. And so I recommend start that file, start an Evernote, start a note on your iPhone, do whatever you need to do. But that's super helpful. It's also helpful if you're in business because you can use those as testimony. So, oh, absolutely. So Good point. Dual purpose. Dual, dual purpose. purpose. And the other thing is, is I created an article for Forbes on this that if you just, you could put in the show notes, or you can just Google Dara Forbes and then network and finding your path, you'll find it. But basically it's this series of seven or nine questions that are designed to ask your network to help you find your own path and have them reflect back on you, your blind spots. 
So it's questions that are much in line with what you're talking about, Rebecca. So things like, and uh, well, most important, it's not a reciprocal exercise. It has to be one-sided so that people don't fear being candid with you, waiting for you to come back to them with a response. So they know this is going to be one-sided and I prefer it in writing so you can hold on to it and analyze all the different answers together. I like to get 10 or 20 at a time from people in different stations of your life. But the questions are things like, when do you see me in my most, like, when am I most powerful? When am I least powerful? What's something you know about me that you don't think I know about myself? What's, you know, something that you think is actually something you don't love about me or that has hurt you in the past or, you know, things of that nature. Because it's meant to draw out the full spectrum so you can see some truth in yourself that maybe you knew and maybe you didn't. But for me, when I go through these exercises, I'm usually able to suss out one or two things that were things I didn't see and that were patterns Mm -hmm. across the board. And so much like the connector theme that we began the conversation with, while I didn't use this exercise to do it, it was the same thing. I was having these informal conversations with people whom I know, and they were reflecting over and over the same thing to me. And so this could do that for you as well, where you're seeing, oh, like people appreciate this thing in me. People, one of the questions is, what do you come to me for when the cards or the chips are down? Because that's going to really show you like, what do people really come to you for? What do they really see in you? Because nine times out of 10, it's probably something you took for granted in yourself. Oh my gosh, that is so very true. And our brains believe what we tell it. And that starts to build our story for our future. And so if we aren't intentional in receiving those compliments and receiving those things in a positive way, then we aren't able to truly thrive and live our best life. We've got to get comfortable with seeing that as what it truly is. That's good stuff. I love the practical tactical. Those questions are really, really good. Thank you. I think it's important to like have both the inspiration, but the activation as well that how do, what do I actually do with this? Mm -hmm. And those questions are really easy, but sometimes scary and vulnerable way to get to the bottom of this. And not to dismiss things because we think, oh, it's not businessy enough or it's not enough of anything. I went through that when I was thinking about building my business is I thought if it wasn't related to some of the hardcore consulting that I had done in the past, that people wouldn't see me as smart and relevant and valuable. And I had to kick that out because it's while I can do it and I'm good at it, it's not the thing that gives me immense amounts of joy that I want to sustain and do over time. Yeah, that can be a really hard place to come from because when you are good at something, you can just keep on doing it endlessly. And it can take a lot of inertia to create the momentum to get you out of that. And I'd say it's kind of like a breakup where if something bad didn't happen, it's a lot harder to leave and walk away. And it's the same thing in your career with things that you're spending your time on. If things are fine and they're working, it's the whole like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which I totally disagree with. (laughs) Same. It's plenty of stuff that can be improved upon or isn't aligned that isn't broken or that you haven't identified as broken. Just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's true too. You know, yeah, we, so many Dr. Seuss. <laughs> we get on these little things that get, you know, the loops in our head. It's like, I'm not sure that's even true. It's just stuck in my head. So that's great. Tell our listeners 
about some of the other great things that you do because I am totally fangirling your business model and the fact that you have taken what you're good at and built solutions. And I believe wholeheartedly when you're good at something, it's great to have a financial exchange because the kindest thing we can do is bring our gifts and talents to the world. And as I have watched your or looked at your profile and 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 seen how you've taken each, what it looks like is each season in your life, you've taken the opportunity to connect that in some way from the, you know, the, the credit card company, the, the children's book in finance, and then the, the network under 40 where you were like, just talk a little bit about some of those things for our listeners. I'm really impressed by it all. Well, thank you. It's interesting because because I started my career in fashion and that was working for someone else. And I thought, you know, you follow your passion, you do the thing that you know you're passionate about and you build your career and your life around it. And I was so, so wrong. It was not a fit. It was something that I realized there's a difference between a hobby and a career. And sometimes they come together and sometimes they don't. And for me, they shouldn't have been together. So, you know, I was laid off several times after that, as I had alluded to. And when I decided to start my first company with my twin brother 10 years ago, it was this credit card processing company. And I had to really reverse engineer the idea of it because in my mind, I'm thinking this is so unsexy. How am I going to get into this? I mean, let's just pause for a minute. Fashion, credit card processing. Totally. I mean, I I got to show, right. And I got to show up at a cocktail party and be like, I'm in fashion. How cool is that? And people always wanted to talk to me about it. Then you show up at a cocktail party and you're like, I'm in merchant services. And people are like, come again. (laughs) Or like, next, I'm not interested. And so it was really this like weird hurdle to get over mentally for me to realize I wasn't going to necessarily be great party fodder, but that I could get really interested in the business because of the day-to-day. And I think this was a really critical turning point for me was understanding that you can become passionate about what you do and you don't have to start by being passionate about the end product or service. And so when I really... Okay, pers- pause on that. Pause. Yeah. Here's why I want you to pause. Many of our listeners are not entrepreneurs. They are working in a, a job, a role in corporate America. And I don't want people to over-glamorize this entrepreneurial endeavor that you can't be happy and joyful unless you go do your own thing. So I'd love for you just to underscore what you just said, please. Yeah. Well, I want to give like secondary signer on the cosign on what you just said that I am not a believer that entrepreneurship is for everyone. I'm also really intent on letting people know that entrepreneurship is not the American idolized, glamorized, you know, from my garage to Facebook bought me three months later that unicorns are mythical. And yet we all often think as entrepreneurs or people who think that's the life of an entrepreneur, that that's what we're all striving towards. And I think that it's unhealthy and an unfair narrative. But so this idea that you don't have to begin passionate about the thing that you do, but you can become passionate by proxy and by the simple fact that whatever you're spending your time day to day is way more important for you than the actual service itself. So my day to day in fashion sucked. Like I was lugging heavy samples around in the back of my car on clothing racks around seven states in the Southeast, sleeping at two star hotels, eating alone at Carabas at the age of 22, thinking this is supposed to be sexy and cool. Like, no, it's not. Who cares if I got some free clothes along the way? When I flipped it and my brother brought this idea of a credit card processing company to me and I thought about the tactical stuff and I thought day to day, I'm going to get to interact across sector with business owners help their bottom line, learn about their business struggles and their businesses, 
and manage my own schedule. Like those were things that really appealed to me and allowed me to get passionate and excited about the service that we were providing instead of the the opposite. And as you asked me at the beginning of this conversation about, you know, how did you blend these things you were good at and you're passionate about into what you developed your career into, sometimes stuff just happened by accident too. It's this idea of flow that we talked about where I was two years into this credit card processing company. Things were not going well. We had at this point just lost our 80% whale of a client of our revenue. I was a mess. My entire identity was tied to the success of this business and it was not successful. So I felt pretty worthless. And suddenly a friend moves back to Atlanta from law school. And she said to me, where do I go to make friends after college? Everywhere I go, I'm either getting hit on, sold to, everyone's my parents' age or they're all lawyers too. I just want to meet my peers, build friendships first. Maybe we can do business. I don't know, but that's not my goal. Where can I go? And like you, Rebecca, as a connector, I thought, well, I don't know where that is. I have never found it. I've been entrenched in the networking community in Atlanta with my credit card processing company. Why don't I just start it for you? And completely by accident, I backed into my second company at the weirdest time. Like my business (laughs) wasn't in a place where I was thinking, oh, I have so much free time and flexibility to start this other thing. But I didn't start it to be a business. I started it to help her. And people paid and they said, do it again. And they said, do it again. And they said, do it again. And then Inc. Magazine randomly showed up at an event without telling me and wrote about it. And then we got national and global attention, which had people then wanting to expand, which then made me stop and say, well, you better systemize this because people want this. And if your mission is to help people connect more authentically and organically and build friendships first and business connections second, then you better pony up and actually do that and not be the bottleneck here. So I say that to say that I got lucky because when I was open and I was paying attention and I was willing to be helpful, but also because I was the real archetype of the adage that do what you love and the money will come. Mm -hmm. And while we don't all have the ability at every stage of our life and our career to have the patience or the flexibility to wait for the money, if we have the desperation stench, as I like to call it, people feel that. It doesn't work. Things like we talked about the white knuckling, it's just not a healthy environment to create anything out of. However, I wasn't in a great financial place, but what actually happened by accident was I created this side gig that kicked off enough revenue for me to live some of the things that I wanted to do, like travel here and there, buy some books that I wanted to read or go to people's weddings that mattered to me that I couldn't do before that. And suddenly I realized, whoa, by not just focusing 100% on this thing and I'm looking around the periphery, I found this opportunity that helped me do the thing that I was greatest at, be of service to other people, and make money on the side. And it was this beautiful gift that I wasn't expecting. And what you said is that your gifts and talents, your connection, the things that you're good at, all of a sudden had value and relevance. Because a friend says to you, I need this, and you recognize, oh, I need it too. Let's just go build it. So when you take your gifts and talents, use them to serve others in a way that's valuable and relevant, that's how you get the money exchange in a way that feels good to your soul. That's different than white knuckling it out for a project that you don't really care about so you can try and get a promotion that's just going to give you more of the strife that you're not really into anyway. This is a totally different mindset and it does take intentionally opening yourself up to things that you might not have considered or planned for. 
And when 100%. you do that, it's beautiful. That's a great, Yeah. I mean, similarly, example. the next step in my career was the exact same thing that I graduated from college in 2006. So the market is right before the decline, which obviously I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I bought a house in 2007 because I had a restraining order against my landlord and I didn't want to have another one. And then I lost my job three months later. And then the recession went into full swing. And so I'm in this place where I'm watching the world around me crumble and I'm recognizing I was taught these lessons from childhood really proactively by my parents. And I assumed up until that moment that other people had as well. And that was just a part of their child rearing as well until that wasn't. And I thought, well, how can I help? Again, that's my lens. How can I help? Mm -hmm. And I thought, I love to write. I have these lessons. And there's a missing link in the market because no one's teaching kids how to do this. And when I researched, I learned that kids learn about money as early as age three, but they're typically learning through bad behaviors and modeling. So I thought, why don't I intersect that? And I decided to write a book for six to nine-year-olds on the basics of financial literacy. And I, it was as simple as that. It wasn't even a, like, let me make a giant business plan. It was, mm-hmm. here's a problem. I have skills and resources to be able to help just start figuring it out. And so I went on that journey as well. My mantra for that is find a gap and fill it. Totally. Yeah. I think that the caveat for me in that is find a gap and fill it with something that you actually enjoy doing. Oh, because I think there's, which I know you mean, but I think for some people they think, oh, like the cannabis industry is blowing up or crypto is blowing up or home flipping is blowing up in, in the positive way. (laughs) And they think, let me interject myself there, but I'm not interested in it. I don't care. I know nothing about it. It just feels like the gold rush. And I think those are not necessarily the places and times to interject and fill. Agreed wholeheartedly. In fact, my process is the first step is story, which is uncovering your story, unique gifts and talents, how that all works to thrive. And then the second step is money. And you, you, can't go after money directly because if you violate your story going after money, that's how you end up feeling miserable and and depressed about the whole thing. And even you can feel miserable and awful about it making a whole lot of money. Like it's not even about enough money. It's about how do you feel when you're making that money. And that's just an example of of trying to cut and paste and, and carbon copy something else that's not necessarily your story. One of the things I found most freeing around those money ideas was when I was 23, I sat down and I listed out at the time, okay, 10 years from now, what could I dream that my life looks like? And once I did that, I put next to it dollar volumes next to what each thing costs, even if it's intangible. So at the time, it was things like get a cat, buy a hammock, be at all the milestones of the people that I care about, travel once a month domestically and once a year internationally, and the list went on. And so even things like be at the milestones, they don't necessarily have a tangible value. Sometimes they do, but I, you know, you just guess. And so what this did for me was two things. One, it really solidified for me what this life would cost. And two, it took away this crazy number in my head that I need $100 million to live my fantasy life when really at the time, it was $120,000 US dollars. <laughs> and oh my that God. helps me realize that even though when I was 22, 23, I was making $37,000 a year, while that felt like a big chasm, it also felt surmountable. Mm-hmm. And it helped me then, because this was a couple years before I started my business. But when I started my business, it helped me really reverse engineer that too and say, okay, my average client is worth this is a residual business. So it was $40 a month on average. 
how many of those do I need to get to $10,000 a month, which means $120,000 a year? And that made it really easy to start breaking it down and thinking, what actions do I need to take to start moving there and get there? And how far out is that? And so, you know, I was 23. So that was age 33. I think at age 27, I hit it. And I was like, I'm financially free. I, at that point, had already hit a point where I residually had my income coming in to cover my base and my operating costs as a person. And then I hit the 10K a month mark. And I was like, holy shit, I can live (laughs) this life that I dreamed of. And now it's for me to decide, not everyone else. We're not keeping up with the Joneses and the Kardashians. It was for me to decide, is this what I still want? And does this still aid that and make that a reality? Or have things changed? And do I want to make more? And if so, why? Because it all comes down to the why. If you don't know why, then you're constantly chasing the pot of gold fruitlessly and you're never living the life in the first place. So you're completely running away from the happiness that you say you're chasing in the first place. Absolutely. The whole why thing is just, it's everywhere. Once you see it and experience it, you can't unsee it. And if I can get my clients to understand that piece of it, to be intentional about know what your why is and then always ask why, even on your task list. Part of my process is that when, when you look at your task list for the week, ask yourself why you're doing those things. And if you can't come up with a reason that's reasonable, it shouldn't be on there. That's your stop doing list. That's, that's habit that isn't necessarily serving you at all. Totally. It's easy to get into those habits. And like you said, in those patterns and think, well, I've been doing it or it served me in the past. I think it's important to question just about everything. Just try it on for yourself and make sure that it works. And that goes down all the way to those daily choices. Yeah. And I want to just make a connection really quickly because, you know, that's what we do as connectors. (laughs) So when someone logged on to this podcast, likely the graphic that I'll use is a picture of the the work that you're doing with Deepak right now. It's amazing. I've had a chance to listen to a, a few bite-sized pieces of it. I can't wait to go deeper. Pardon the pun on the title. Yeah, I was going to say, good type of pun. <laughs> <laughs> but if they saw you, a beautiful young woman sitting beside Deepak, they could think, oh, there's another one that's got it all together and I'm never going to measure up. And those are things that I've always aspired to do. And you just in the last 20 to 30 minutes have been able to showcase for all of us that that wasn't an immediate jump from this golden era of education into this amazing opportunity. There's been failures, there's been challenges, there's been lawyers and landlords and sleeping in crappy hotels. And we have to keep reminding each other that the journey is not always fabulous. I'm really glad you're highlighting it. And it's why I try to be very intentional about sharing those moments, which are just the tip of the iceberg, frankly in all of the hurdles and challenges and mental roadblocks that I have faced to get to the place that I am now where those I'm still not immune to any of them. I've just learned how to resist less, how to understand that uncertainty is the only certainty, how to tackle the mental critics better than I have in the past, not perfectly. And it's why in my work, I do the same thing. It's every day I'm on Instagram and I'm sharing stuff that I hope is valuable and often is really true about, hey, here's the picture, but here's the truth behind the picture. Mm-hmm. Or here's what this took and here's what it took to get to that place. Because you know we do live in this highlight real culture 
We live in a time where, unlike any other time, where our community and our tribe was very small and it was great. It was easy to be great at something in there and find your place. Mm -hmm. Now it's easy and, you know, it's next to impossible to kind of avoid now looking at a global tribe and comparing yourself to that. So for me, it is critical to be transparent about the challenges and the roadblocks and the hurdles along the way. Yeah. Amen. Same. Oftentimes I will open a keynote with a picture of the trailer, a mobile home that I grew up in on an acre of land on my grandfather's farm in the middle of Southeast Indiana. There is nothing glamorous about that, girl. There's tons of love and joy and amazing work ethic and lessons that I learned there that I am so grateful for. They're a huge part of my story. But as I'm standing on some amazing stage somewhere, I want to quickly say to people, this is not where I started. And I'm so grateful to be standing here today, but I want to be authentic about what the story is really about. Preach. So good. Good stuff. Good stuff. So as we wrap up, highlight a couple of things that you're most excited about that you're working on right now. I'm super excited about our course that helps people increase their income, impact, and influence by hosting their own networking events because of exactly what I shared, that it allows people to create this side gig to elevate what they're doing full-time and do all those things to make a side income, to increase their visibility in their market, and to help whoever that is that they're serving on a bigger scale. So we, I've taken it and broken it down into a blueprint that gives everything from email scripts to PDFs and you know fill in the blank, 17 modules to help people do it from soup to nuts. And that I feel really great about because it's one of those things that we're constantly asked about of how do we do this for ourselves? And now people have a place to get it and help elevate the work that they're doing and bring people together to have real true connection since we are craving it, as we yeah. talked about. Yeah. I'm also really excited about the Life by Design, Not by Default Virtual Summit, which is a 20 plus hour, 45 speaker online content series that has everyone from Deepak Chopra to Adam Grant and Jensen Cheryl, who wrote the You Are a Badass series and 40 other incredible humans who are really tangibly breaking down for you. How do you define success for yourself and map out the life that you want? How do you build a career to integrate with and fund it rather than consume and overtake it? And how do you build a network to support you and your goals? And those are both on my website. They're at dara.co, D-A-R-R-A-H.co, as well as a huge repertoire of free stuff. Oh my gosh, so much great free stuff. I can't wait to highlight some of those specifically. The one I fell in love with immediately was the 55, what's the exact title? It's a long title. I don't expect you to memorize that one. It's the 55 best questions to ask to break the ice and really get to know someone, which... I'm just going to like brag on this for a second. It has been downloaded 1.2 million times. And it's because of exactly what we're talking about, that asking people what they do, having people feel like they're not really seen, that's not really what any of us are craving. We've just gotten into the habit of doing it. And it's the, the modern how's the weather for people when really there's a lot of better ways to ask questions, to break the ice and get to know someone and build rapport and eventually figure out what they do. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. And it's broken down into mild, medium, and hot yep. in terms of how deep do you want to go. And it's just so useful. So kudos. I can see why it's been downloaded so many times. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to underscore one more time. I love this connection that we've made online. So it can be done. I love social media when it's used for good. And this is a perfect example that I didn't know you two weeks ago. 
And I already feel this just connection to you. And you're much younger than me, but we've done similar things. And, and as, you know, I think age is a terrible way to measure life as well. That's a whole other podcast we should do together. But just being able to say, you know what, there's lots of amazing people out there. Don't let the comparison trap stop you from reaching out and authentically connecting and asking for, for help or support because I know there's tons that I can learn from you and I'm so excited about it. Can I share really quickly a challenge for the audience? Yes, please. Cool. So for people who are looking to dive more into generously building a network and getting out and getting deeper into the relationships that they already have, I highly recommend taking a challenge that I accidentally created. A lot of things happen by accident called Give It Forward. And it's something that happened when I had initially and many times over since had felt in a rut and wanted to get out of it. And I think the quickest way to get out of your own nonsense is to help other people It's also the quickest way to be successful. Thank you, Adam Grant, for your book, Give and Take, that gives us the science behind that. But what happens is for, in my eyes, 30 days, but you can do it as long or as briefly as you want, you go out intentionally into the world and offer to be a resource with no strings attached to one person a day. It doesn't make you a magical fairy. It doesn't mean that you have to make whatever they say come true, but it does mean that you have to try. And what I have found through this process is so many beautiful things. One, it has made me really appreciate all that we each have to offer and sleep on and completely take for granted. Mm-hmm. Two, it has made me realize how easy it is to stay connected with the people in your life that you often lose touch with when you just reach out with a text, an email, or a quick phone call and offer this. You go really deep, really fast. And lastly, it also has just demonstrated to me how much goodness exists in people that when you tell someone like, listen, there's no strings attached. And if you really want to do something, give it forward. And you can watch the ripple effect of goodness and how people truly want to help. You just have to give them an opportunity or in this case, be the person to do it. How much springs from that? Like I'm a true believer in what I call the karmic retribution of giving where you give to, I give to Rebecca, Rebecca gives to Jenny, Jenny gives to Joni, Joni gives to Sarah. And then somehow along the way, it comes back to me. I know it's to be true anecdotally and through, again, Adam's work, I know it to be true scientifically, but that is real. And when we stop looking at it from a what do I get, but what do I give perspective, that a lot of good stuff unfolds. And that's where we often get really energized and excited because you reconnect to the source of what you have to offer. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I know like my children, I'm not supposed to have favorites, but this might be my favorite episode so far. Whoa. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. I really do appreciate it. And I look forward to this as an ongoing relationship. I'm sure there's lots Same. of fun stuff we can do in the future. Yeah, we are definitely kindred. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. I'm not coming down. Inspiring as well as practical, tactical takeaways. And Dara even did a little of my job for you. So she's given you a challenge. I don't even need to give you reflection questions today. So how about that? Your next step is to go to her website, dara.co, D-A-R-R-A-H.co. And there you will find amazing free downloads as well as some inspiring programs that you'll definitely want to check out. Thanks so much for being here and make it a great day. I'm not coming down